0: I think that this fear is suffocating if it's not put out with love. This is The Law School
1: Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hello everyone, this is Marco Filimeni, this is The Law School Show, and today I'm chatting with Rosalind Cedra about how practicing law while working as a professional actor and content creator has led to her most recent production, a web series called Fail Better. Rosalind practices law with SAP State lawyers in downtown Toronto in the areas of civil litigation, criminal defense, and entertainment law. She's an alumnus of The Current, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and she's appeared on CBC's Canada's Smartest Person. Oh, and she participated in Toronto Monologue Slam. So it's a diverse and accomplished resume. Rosalind. I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to add in terms of background.
0: I play the kazoo.
1: Well, that's super interesting. (laughs) I know, it's very exciting. (laughs) When did you pick that up?
0: Uh, when I decided I wasn't going to work hard enough to learn the harmonica.
1: That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. So let's dive right into things. Fail Better. What's the current status with the series?
0: Fail Better is a web series in development. So we have the trailer out and the application for funding in with the independent production fund and right now we're in the middle of the phase 1 assessment where uh our social media presence and the engagement we have with a, with our audience is part of how the series is looked at so mm-hmm. it's an idea it's it's a concept that i really want to make happen, and that I have a really amazing team that is equally devoted to. Um, And it's it's kind of a mission, really, because there's a lot of risk involved in doing this for me personally. Mm -hmm. But if we can really make something that actually tells the truth about what it feels like to be so afraid of failure all the time, that's worth it.
1: Agreed. And that leads into, I guess, giving a bit more context on the show itself. So maybe you can uh, tell me, uh, tell everyone what it's about a bit more.
0: I would love to. Fail Better is about that feeling of being so afraid of failure that every decision becomes monumentally difficult. It's about Tegan, who is so afraid of failing as an actor that she makes it impossible... To fail financially by becoming an articling student. Uh-huh. At least that's what she thinks she's setting up for herself. But it turns out all the things that she thought she was getting away from in the entertainment industry by going to the legal profession, it's all still there. So the unpredictability, the, the constant failing, the inability to control... The fail and the misogyny and the racism, all that stuff that she thought she would get away from by leaving, by going from the acting profession to the legal profession, which is so incredibly different on its face. Mm -hmm. It's all still there. It's the world.
1: Right. So what is your relationship to the main character, Tegan?
0: I play her as the actor and I created her as the creator of the show. As long as I was having trouble differentiating between her and me and what makes her her and what makes me me, I was afraid to let her really fail because it felt like me. I understand. But when I was able to make that difference clear, if if that person is guided by the fear of failure, she's gonna fall right to the bottom. And she'll learn, but you gotta go through some hard shit first.
1: Now, when you say fall right to the bottom, is that along a path?
0: Yes, that's a long path. Okay. And, and by the end of season three, she will have really seen her life change. And then hopefully we get another three seasons after that for her to learn how to make decisions differently and climb back up.
1: Okay. That's an interesting story arc. What's the format?
0: So it's a drama with comedic elements. Mm -hmm. It's 12 episodes per season, seven minutes an episode. It's a web series. And it's kind of like The Good Wife meets Insecure. So The good wife in the sense of it being a a hard look at a woman trying to juggle a million competing expectations and responsibilities, and holding it together for the most part, but losing it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And insecure in the sense that it's gritty, it's not shiny, it's not not this beautiful pristine law firm. It's the way insecure looks. It's the way girls look, only with color. Mm -hmm. It's it's about the issues that this woman is going through in her life so the way with insecure it's racism on the forefront and misogyny as a secondary theme
1: mm-hmm. this is
0: the reverse it's misogyny in, in the primary and racism as a secondary theme
1: i mean i know it's it's in development right now but where could people where could people find it or where could they find information about it
0: there is a website called fail better series dot com, the trailer is right there on the website. There is an Instagram channel, underscore fail better underscore. There is a Twitter channel, underscore fail better underscore. There is a Facebook page, facebook.com/slash fail better. <laughs> Just put the words in fail better and maybe add my name, Rosalind, and you'll find it all over the place.
1: That's how I did my research. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. So, what does failure look like to Teagan?
0: It looks like being alone in an apartment that is so dirty that a surface that should be white, like your fridge, is brown with, like, dark brown with layers of dirt, and all the dust is piled up, and she can't pay her bills, and she can't take care of anybody, and she smells, and she's just a burden on everyone, and she doesn't recognize herself, except she totally does. Except it looks like turning out to be like her mom. That's what she sees, as every time she makes a small mistake, like like a typo in an email, mm-hmm. and it gets out before she corrects it, it's this monumental, oh my god, what if I fail at everything? I can't even get an email out right. And it just spirals so fast to losing everything. Getting fired,
1: uh-huh.
0: getting evicted, just... Everything from these tiny little failures that don't actually mean she's worthless, but that's how it feels.
1: So it's like, this is just a sign. You know, it's the tip of the iceberg, and the iceberg, really, I'm maybe in a place where I I shouldn't be, or I'm incapable uh, because of these these signifiers. Is that kind of the, the, the way the thought process begins?
0: Close. It feels like, thank God I just pulled that off, but people will find out. Any second, any second I will make a mistake and everyone will find out that I don't know how I got this job, I don't know how I got through law school, but
1: uh-huh.
0: I can't pull this off. So she works insanely hard
1: uh-huh.
0: in order to prove she can
1: Right. Yes, and there's, so there's that element of self-doubt, almost where you kind of question your reality. Does that happen to, with Tegan?
0: Yeah, that happens. It's not even questioning reality. It's, it's distorting it. Okay. Like, you look at the face of an articling student's life, because that's what she is. Mm-hmm. Tegan is starting her job articling... At a law firm. So, you look at that and that means she got through law school. That means she got an articling job. That means she's already proven that she is capable of working hard Mm -hmm. and reaching a pretty small percentage of people who get that far. Right. And yet it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like she's making strides toward the life she wants, it feels like, oh, no. Now I've told an even bigger lie that I'm capable of handling this. And what if they find out? When will they find out? It's easier to think I'm a total utter failure and that it's inescapable, so I might as well just give up, because then I can just turn everything off. Whereas... If I actually look at, okay, I screwed this thing up, this specific thing, I will try again. Then I, I have to keep trying again and I have to acknowledge that I am not perfect mm-hmm. and I am not utterly worthless. I'm just a regular human like everyone else and I have to try again and work harder, maybe. And that's harder because it's endless. You will always have to try again.
1: It is harder. I was just going to say it makes me think of uh, uh, a line from a, uh, the movie 8 and a Half by Federico Fellini, Uh When you can't have everything, nothingness is true perfection.
0: I was actually going to say it makes me think of a line from a Samuel Beckett poem, and that's where the title came from.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Um, it's a super long poem that, to be honest, I have not read mm. in full. But there's just one brilliant set of lines. Ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, fail better words of wisdom mm-hmm.
1: so Rosalind, could you illustrate instances of racist or misogynistic behavior that Tegan encounters uh, in the series, and what does she learn from managing those those encounters?
0: The thing about the calling out culture we're in now is it simplifies things. And I don't think that's truthful. I think there are people, there are situations where it's very clearly misogynist or racist, but it's not as often as when it's gray.
1: Mm.
0: And when it's gray it's when it's difficult. Well, When it's great is when it's more difficult because you don't know. You sit there in that situation and you question, was that, is is that because I'm a brown woman or is that just because I'm here and he wasn't thinking? Like when when she gets asked to clean up the boardroom after a, a client meeting, you know, is that because... She's the brown girl in the office, or is it just because she was there? Or is it because as a brown woman she has gotten used to serving and so she's more she's she invites it maybe, or is it because she accepts it? Whereas when you ask the white man, he'll he looks like what? <sighs> you know, it's great, it's it's dicey, and I mean <sighs> There's this one scene that my co-writer wrote. I did not write it, Mm -hmm. but it happened almost word for word to me. And then I read it in the script that she came up with, and I couldn't believe it. Tegan is in a client meeting, and this client uh, starts asking, you know, what are you? Um... And she's, you know, she's not actually confused or stunned because this happens a million times a day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you still want to pretend that you don't know what they're talking about because it's so irritating and inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so, but like, you know, where are you from? Oh, well, she's from like, she's from Canada. No, but really, where are you from? Okay, so the real question is, where are your parents from? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as she says it, it, it it's like immediately, she no longer has a specific identity. There's no longer anything about her, the person who is sitting right there, that is part of the conversation. It's about this person's, this guy's impression of what that culture is. And her identity mm. is just wiped away in all these... Images that he's got in his head about what it is for a woman to come from that culture. And that's what it is. I mean, it's not, you know, he's sitting there saying, I think you're worth less than me because I'm white and you're brown. People don't do that as much mm-hmm. as they just wash over your identity as an individual with their assumptions.
1: Stereotype, in other words. Project that... that mental image, or or that mental model of um, the elements they associate with that culture and project it on an individual because you happen to be of that culture, right?
0: Yeah. And how does she learn to deal with it? Well, it's slow going because she's an articling student.
1: Not a lot of leverage.
0: No, it's a position that feels like powerlessness and subservience. And it is, when you look at it on the outside, it is still a position of privilege. But on the inside, it does not feel like that. Mm -hmm. So the chances that she's going to say, excuse me, client, I think what you just said to me is inappropriate, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: are low at the beginning. But she'll she'll get there. Just takes some... I think, honestly, it takes some getting sick of things. What do you mean? To
1: well, to 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 be fed up essentially, or
0: I, this thing happens, I think with articling at any rate, where at the beginning you're so scared and you assume that everything you everything that goes wrong is wrong because of you. Mm-hmm. And then I mean I don't know. Did you feel like this when you were articling? As you as you go along, you start to realize sometimes it. Sometimes you just have to speak up for yourself because this is ridiculous.
1: There are elements of that, I think, in any employer-employee relationship, right? Where you kind of, ha- there has to be some, there has to be some sort of boundary and there has to be some acknowledgement on both sides that you're in, tr- one, you're in training and no one is born finished. So there has to be that common understanding and sometimes that has to be made clear if sometimes it's lost in whatever the situation is. There are elements even in the moment where sometimes you just gotta speak up.
0: Here's another thing about why it's difficult to know if it's appropriate to speak up, when it's appropriate to speak up, when it's even helpful to speak up as an articling student, even if you do know, even if it's not gray, even if you know for sure that you are being mistreated and it is unacceptable, sometimes it's not about you. It's a service job. So yeah, that's are, exactly. That's
1: the the bigger picture I was talking about. Like there are some things that are like part of the job. Like it's a difficult job. You have to acknowledge that. You have to make sacrifices if you want to have this kind of job. Like there's that's the deal. But it's like the idiosyncrasies of the, of the individual that's causing the problem. It, that's where I'm like, you don't have to be this way. Like, It's a matter of professionalism. Are you being a professional?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really talking about the necessary difficulties of the job. Okay. I'm talking about, for example, I was in this meeting... Uh, I'm going to leave it vague what kind of a meeting it was. Sure. But it was a meeting with counsel on both sides and and clients, and it was a decision-making meeting. Okay. And this one person who was... One of the professionals at the table, one of the decision makers at the table, kept making these sexist comments directed at me, the only woman on at the table, as a you know, as a professional. Like there were female clients, but yeah, and they weren't malicious. It's just mm. from his worldview that's a compliment, and and I just kept thinking, should I be saying something? Well, it's not going to serve the client if I do, like we're Mm -hmm. here in order to advocate for the client and that is not me speaking up for my political views is not going to help the client. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut during this meeting. It's dicey because I still feel scummy about it sometimes. Like maybe I should have spoke, maybe I should have, but I don't think so because sometimes my job is to serve.
1: I think you crystallize it. Uh, And it's important to have that perspective. Because I I couldn't.
0: Marco is a white man, in case anyone doesn't know.
1: Yes, yes he is. (laughs) (laughs) But what about after that? Is there a way to deal with it with people whose ear you have?
0: Sure, make a web series where you expose the behavior. Or that. Or that. (laughs)
1: Or that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the advantage there or the strategy if you want to say is you're communicating this you're you're exposing, like you're crystallizing this is what it looks like and then people who are watching are like oh yeah i've gone through that oh i've gone through that oh my god yeah and then people start talking you kind of take the driver's seat over the narrative like you're it's, it's simply you're offering your perspective and a lot of people will share it and then that's how you get a unified viewpoint that, you know, grants you that leverage to hopefully change things. I don't think
0: you ever make a unified viewpoint. I don't even think that's the goal. I think the goal is just to put different views that aren't really noted Mm. into the conversation. Because it's it's not that the legal profession particularly is trying to be sexist and racist. But the fact is that the people in authority, the people handing out advantages and making decisions and mm-hmm. writing them and and who are are in a position to give a leg up mm-hmm. are still mostly white men. And maybe they're not trying to help their own, but that's human nature. Help your own.
1: Right. So this kinda leads to the thought that I had, on the one hand, you have the legal profession that seemingly emphasizes individual rights and dignity, and professionals are required, or they they, they have to manage their biases accordingly, right? Mm-hmm. So that you have that on the one hand, and on the other hand, we have, we'll just say, performing arts, where empathy for a character, given their psychology and their environmental context is key. So, what is the common denominator in these two fields that allows misogyny and racism to exist and affect people?
0: That is so interesting, and I don't know. I think maybe it might be... It might not be specific to
1: That's that's what I'm saying. Like, there's got to be, maybe it's a research project, but there has to be a common denominator.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to pick apart your question a little bit and go at each piece, okay?
1: Okay. Okay. Am I about to be cross-examined?
0: Not at all. (laughs) You said that law, the legal profession, is about the individual, and I don't think that's true. And I think that that's part of what does it. Hmm. So one of, the, one of the articles that's on the inspirations page of failbetterseries.com is called Black on Bay Street by Hadea Roderick. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, or her first name for that matter. But it's about this whole business of what you're supposed to be to be a successful lawyer it's not about the individual there is an expected standard and that's part of how racism and misogyny actually plays because women of color are the farthest from that standard and it is costly both in terms of money and time and physical damage it's costly to try to fit that standard like Mm -hmm. Oh, man. One of my friends who articled on Bay Street was talking to me about the shoes. And, you know, the, the pencil skirt business suit image with the stiletto heels, like, that is physically damaging. Hair. For a woman of color, there is a whole well of assumptions and discriminatory attitudes about what a woman of color looks like if she shows up to the office with her natural hair as opposed to straightened hair. And straightened hair is, you know, traditionally what you, what people Imagine as the polished image, but that is physically damaging, it's costly, it's, mm-hmm. it costs time to produce that image, and it's just racism is what it is. It's the image of white as professional.
1: So I wanted to shift gears a little bit, but this, this does touch on the challenge of, of preserving one's identity when there's these pressures to kind of let go or to to conform, if you will, with with certain standards. But first, a softball. Um, Is Tegan uh, a lawyer who happens to also perform, or is she an artist who practices law, or is she a hybrid?
0: She's a person who loves words and crafting stories out of words and that is the thing that carries across every part of her life i mean that's one of the things that makes sense you know she she just flips out with joy the first time she goes to the great library on an assignment because she gets to spend her hours surrounded by all these amazing words and all these amazing thinkers that put them together. And that's the same thing with acting, hopefully. I mean, it's it's the same. You know, sometimes you read a bad legal argument. Sometimes you read a bad script. It's the same. But when it's Uh beautiful, it is beautiful.
1: Uh, I'm glad that the answer was not at all expected. <laughs> no, that's a completely fresh way to look at it. There's a common denominator between those two realms, right? Mm. Being a lover of words and the craft of putting them together and making them high quality and having or making them impactful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding! <laughs> Do we get a toast to that? <laughs>
1: So where do you, Tegan, where where do you see her putting on more of a mask or a performance in her role as an articling student or as an actor, as a performer for an audience?
0: I would say definitely as an articling student. There's more mask there because there's more fear. I mean, ah, that's not even true. There's fear on both sides. Right? Right. Yeah, definitely. But there's more of a mask there because... You know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I thought it must be as an articling student because that has this demand of getting it right. And Mm. so you can't go around with this fear across your face that I might be wrong, I don't know, I'm not sure. But then again, it is your responsibility to tell your principal if you don't know about something you hand your principal the memo or whatever it is you're doing and it is your responsibility to tell him if you right. if you don't know about it and then as an actor there are so many different ways to be an actor mm-hmm. I mean there is the way of being an actor where it's all about removing all the masks and being as truthful as you possibly can and if and if that's what we're talking about, then th- hopefully there's no mask. But that's the goal. I mean, that's not every single time she goes on stage, that's what she's going to do. How afraid is she that day? How much is she willing to risk it that day, you know? Uh. Maybe maybe one day she's able to be really truthful and one day she's not. And it's the same with, the, with constructing the arguments as an articling student. Sometimes you are so clear and you are able to just put forth the argument and there's no cover, there's no hedging, you have the research, you are confident, here it is. And then there is a feeling of being yourself. At least that's what I found. But, hmm. when, but when I wasn't sure, it was always this question of how do I tell... My principle that I think this research is right, but I am not sure. And I would and and even though that is being yourself, to tell the truth about that, it it you know, when it doesn't feel like being yourself when you're just sitting there so afraid.
1: Does this go back to self-doubt where like, is the expectation of yourself that you should be able to provide that answer in your mind and that if you're coming up short, it's on you?
0: Yes, 100%. I read this article, like, many times in Precedent Magazine because... Yes? I was just
1: going to say, what is it called? What We're is it? people find it. <laughs> it's
0: called In the Dark. It's by... Daniel Fish, it is in the Precedent magazine that came out for spring 2018, and it's available online. The woman who lent her story to the fear section is named Malini Vijay Kumar, and she said these things that let me know for sure other people feel this way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you a quote, okay? Okay. There's this notion that everyone in law is perfect, she says. We are such a high-achieving profession. Everyone seems so smart, and no one is willing to show any weakness. It can feel like you are the only idiot who doesn't know everything. And this article draws out how the culture of mental illness that is so disproportionate to the legal profession as opposed to the general population, Mm -hmm. how it comes out of that expectation of perfection and that constant show of superior intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's a real thing. And it's damaging. But on the other hand, it's not the same as art, where you try and fail. like, there is not that okay for mm. lawyers. I think it's not just me. Based on this article anyway, it's definitely not just me. Where as a in the legal profession, it feels like everything mm-hmm. is like that. And certainly to Tegan, it feels like everything is at bottom of the ninth.
1: Right. The stakes are so high. For everything. For everything. Tough gig. Mm. <laughs> so when there's this standard that's kind of been established, if you will, how does Tegan, who's trying to be true to herself as an artist, who also is a lover of words um, and, and naturally you know is drawn to the law, how does she fight through the pressure to compromise or conform?
0: Tegan doesn't start this series as a revolutionary. She's not mm. singing an anthem for being true to yourself. She is going through it with a lot of problems. She is going through it with anxiety and disproportionate feelings of self-doubt. And she's going to learn how to be true to herself. But Mm. it takes a long time and it takes loss because she tries to meet the standard of perfection and can't. She tries to do everything and can't. And there is that loss of the hope that she will be able to. And I know that sounds really despairing But it's the best thing I ever learned. It's the best thing anybody I know who learned it has learned. I mean, it's just not human to be perfect. And Tegan will have to let that go, but she'll have to be forced to let it go.
1: Right. Or she could self-destruct.
0: You're tempting me to give spoilers, so I'm just going to be quiet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll leave it at that. Okay. (laughs) So, Rosalind, with Fail Better and any initiative or ideas that are kind of tied to those themes, you know, again, of of dealing with misogyny, racism, and, and the pressure to be perfect... Uh, and the fear of failure resulting from that. What do you hope to achieve?
0: <gasps> oh, I've got it. I know what it is.
1: Uh, oh.
0: I'm sorry. I I didn't <laughs> let you finish your question. I'm sorry. That's and okay. I will. But you asked me a question earlier that I couldn't answer. You asked me what is the common denominator between the legal profession and the acting profession that makes these things pervasive in each of them? And I misogyny
1: and racism. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I thought I had it, but I don't. But I still think, okay, well, I do think that there is this common denominator that results in fear being heightened between them both, and Mm. the desire to fake who you are, to fake being better than you are, being heightened in both. There's this expectation that it's every conscious minute. Tegan has this line... In the trailer, um, she's she's in an interview to get the articling job, mm. and she she promises her principal she will use every conscious minute she's got, every conscious minute I've got. That's what she says, and there is this expectation in both the acting profession and the legal profession that every conscious minute is devoted to this profession, and there is no balance. In that there's no way to live a balanced life providing for self care and loving relationships. There, It's just impossible. I mean, okay, I'm going back to this article in Precedent. Yep. 39% of all lawyers and 60% of big firm lawyers work more than 50 hours a week, and 38% of all lawyers always or often work on the weekend. Uh-huh. Actors. I, like, 50 hours a week is light. I mean, I'm not talking about necessarily being paid on set. I'm talking about the work of being an an actor, the work of learning, of practicing, of auditioning, of everything you have to do. It's, It's, like... You wake up, you go to bed, and both professions demand this total... Devotion. Devotion, yeah. And I think that is why the fear of being found out is so intense in both of them. One, because there's no balance. Two, because every minute you're not doing it, you feel like you should be. You never get to the end of your to-do list. And so there's always this fear of being found out.
1: Okay, so going back to my question,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes, what do you hope to achieve? With Fail Better, I hope to truthfully dig out what it is to be so afraid of failure that it rules every waking moment, every decision. And I hope that, okay, you know that article you mentioned a while ago that I wrote? Um, a pointless mess. pointless mess. It came out. It was published in Bitches Be Witches. And after it was published, people, like total strangers, messaged me on Facebook, messaged me through LinkedIn, messaged me through my law firm <laughs> to thank me and tell me that they felt that way and and that it, it helped and that's why I wrote it, and that's what has helped me to be braver about these things and to be more truthful is people who have written about it, like Brene Brown. I, re- I read a lot of Brene Brown because she does all her life's work on exposing shame and mm. and researching what vulnerability is and what the relationship between shame and vulnerability are and I think that this fear is suffocating if it's not put out with love I mean Brene Brown says that shame cannot exist with when when it is shared with love I'm paraphrasing that's not her exact quote but it's something like that and I believe that that's got to be true here. So what I hope is that we will tell this story truthfully, we will tell this woman's experience truthfully, we will execute it truthfully, and that people watching it will feel not alone. That is what I hope. In a pragmatic sense, I hope we get funded so that we can do that.
1: (laughs) So if you do get funded, what are some of the, I don't know, uh... I don't know how, how much detail you want to give here, but some of the storylines that you might want to explore are some situations that the characters can find themselves in or events that happen.
0: In terms of what are the storylines, it's not the storylines, it's the, it's the journey through that fear. I mean, what's going to happen? Well, she's going to learn how to use her love of words and apply the way she approaches words as an actor to to her work as an articling student. She's going to learn to trust herself to excel that way. She's going to learn that sometimes people screw you over. She's mm. gonna she's gonna learn what it's like to really disappoint the people she loves because she put work first. I mean, mm. there are lots
1: of stories. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of a good way to phrase it. So I guess the writing approach uh, is to, you want to express certain ideas and the story will follow kind of thing.
0: It's not really that. Here's where I am with the writing. Mm. I keep writing it from story and it keeps turning out about the actor slash articling student scheduling conflict. Mm. So I keep starting again. Fail better, fail better, fail better. So, I don't want to make it about the story because it's about her journey. It's about her journey. Plus, I also just don't want to give away spoilers because I like them and I think they're going to be fun plot points.
1: Perfect. That, that's fine with me.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll give one away.
1: Perfect. I didn't even have to ask. There you go. <laughs>
0: There is a ridiculous expectation as an actor on what your body's supposed to look like. It's not everybody, but it, it, is, it is a lot of the time where it's in the big breakdown, must-have bikini body. And fortunately, if you're a union actor, there are regulations on how much you have to show in an audition, how much you can be asked to show in an audition. It's really helpful, but if you're not a union actor, there are no protections around that. So... She auditions for a mermaid show. I'll just leave it there on the table.
1: (laughs) Is she non-union? I'm just going to leave it there. All right, all right. I tried, everybody. I did. (laughs) Well, I think that's everything. I mean, there's obviously more, but for today, that's everything.
0: Yeah... I talk about this show and I always feel like I didn't, I didn't get right to it. So I just want to read this one more quote from Malini Vijay Kumar in this article in Precedent, Spring 2018 issue. It's about when she failed to land an articling job through the traditional recruitment process. My body shut down, she says. I could barely get out of bed for two weeks. Her friends reached out offering to help, but Vijay Kumar refused to get together. The same thoughts kept running through my head. You are not worthy of their attention. You are worthless. And that's what it is. It's that fear from every little tiny failure that it makes Tegan completely worthless. That is how she feels about every imminent failure. And that is why the fear is so big. And that's what she's got to learn to go through.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing the point at which she gives herself a bit more credit and accepts her humanity.
0: Yeah, me too. I look forward to making the thing. Totally. So, like, share, follow on social media. Fail Better is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And in order to help us get this season funded and made, share it with all your friends, like, and follow along. Thanks so much for this talk. It was really fun.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we could have it. And if you want to learn uh, a little bit more about the series again, Uh, You have the coordinates from Rosalind. You can look at the show notes. The website, again, is failbetterseries.com. If you want to learn more about Rosalind, the lawyer, um, you can look her up at sabsaylaw.com. And if you want to learn more about Rosalind, the actor, you can look her up on, is it rosalind.ca? That's
0: it. Perfect. Nice and simple.
1: Excellent. So that's everything we have for today. Thank you, Rosalind, and thank you for listening, everyone.
0: Thank you, Marco. If you like what you just heard and you would like to hear more, subscribe.